Welcome to Justice in His Kingdom, a podcast that examines the religious nature of justice. Featured on Christian Interest Radio and Podcasting, CR 101 Radio. Your hosts are Roger Oliver and Jerry Lynn Ward. CR 101 Radio Network is a Christian Reconstruction Internet radio station that hosts and broadcasts lectures, sermons and podcasts 24-7. GCS Apprenticeship Program is dedicated to training the next generation of Christian teachers so they can own and operate successful and profitable Christian schools. Learn more at cr101radio.com and gcsapprenticeship.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Justice in His Kingdom. Today, we will discuss advancing the kingdom and its justice in the realm of politics with Dr. Richard Knodel. Dr. Knodel is the author of the book, Lifestyle, a biblical philosophical study of Christianity and the culture it produces. In that book, Dr. Knodel shows how God himself established culture in the creation. And in this interview, we will be exploring that fact in the context of the participation of Christians in politics and in light of present circumstances. Holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full Welcome, of his glory. Welcome, Dr. Knodel. Thank you for appearing on our podcast. Well, it's my treat, really, um, to, that you all, you all were interested in uh, hearing hearing me or hearing what I had to say. I, I'd like for you to tell the audience about yourself. Uh, you're a pastor, but you also do some things outside pastoring a church. So why don't you tell everyone about your background and what you're doing now? Okay. Well, for, uh, the biggest thing is I'm an old, older pastor, and but I'm also uh, fairly academic. And, um, and so... Uh, I've I've served as a, in, a, in the pastorate um, almost fifty years now, so I'm a, uh, an older pastor. But a lot of times, older pastors are just senile. I'm a little senile, <laughs> but um, I, 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 <laughs> I've I've also been plugging away over the years. So you you do accumulate both knowledge and um, an ability to use it, and uh, I'm I'm starting to lose some of that, but I've retained enough that I I still. I'm able to tell foolishness from non-fool, non-fool from wisdom, and uh, so maybe that's a gift. But uh, so I, I, I've pastored. I started out. I'm, I'm like a walking um, uh, ecumenical movement uh, because I started out in the liberal United Presbyterian Church. lasted lasted there only two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Joined joined the P. Got kind of forced out of the church at that time. Joined the PCA with a whole bunch of other people, with R.C. Sproul and John Gershner and others like that, um, back in the uh, mid-1970s, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> uh, was in that for about three, three years, um, attending the different general assemblies for the PCA. I wasn't real. I, I had I'd 
been immersed in liberalism in the United Presbyterian Church. I knew what that was. I knew how it operated. And uh, when I got into the PCA, I saw that they that they were not. That was this was in the early days. We were the first presbytery outside the South in the PCA. But I could see that they were they were making decisions. Major decisions were being made, not based on the scriptures, but based on their bureaucracy. And and so I just thought, I don't want to I don't want to work in this church for thirty years and find out I'm right back where I was when I started in the in the United Presbyterian Church. So um, I, got, I got an opportunity to go into the OPC at that time. That was 1978, and um, I was in the OPC happily until 2006, when I got an opportunity to um, to join the uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church of Scotland, and uh, we got a chance to live in Scotland for uh, four plus years, and mm-hmm. uh, just magnificent. It was a wonderful break for my wife Susan. And, uh, and, 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 you know, it's wonderful to tour places. It's even better to live somewhere and get to know the natives and enjoy them. And so, and then we were put in charge of uh, tourism, uh, tourism there for the RPC of Scotland. And so in a, in a matter of a couple of months, I had to learn Glasgow, Edinburgh, and uh, all my way around Scotland. So at the time, the price of gasoline over there was $9 a gallon. So, but I couldn't have afforded it on my, on my salary. But since I was doing this tourism thing, I had to do it. And it was subsidized by the, by the group. And so um, very soon, my wife and I got organized this tour service over there in Scotland. It's still going. Anybody um, wants to go to Scotland, they, they're the group to use, uh, Reformation Tours there. And uh, so, and then uh, when I was uh, when I was done there in 2010, uh, I came back here to the States and uh, uh, God has seemingly, it's just his providences toward me are, have been always very interesting. So when I came back to the States, where did I come but the congressional district of John Boehner? <laughs> And uh, so we got active right away in in that area, found like-minded people. I became the Tea Party chairman for, uh, I don't know, two or four years uh, down here in Westchester, Ohio. And, of course, this was part of the group that the IRS had gone after um, uh, under Obama. And I, they never went after me. I, I can't, I've kind of came in at the tail end of that, but, uh, but I... I came in amongst people that knew, knew what was going on and had been persecuted to some degree. And so, um, and so uh, I've been politically active my whole life. I've got a picture of myself with Ronald Reagan in, in uh, I think it was the YM, YMCA building in Syracuse, New York in about 1980 um, when he ran. And uh, I've been politically active, but I've always, uh, I've always, put a priority on the church and felt that my calling was to the church. And so I put most of my time in on the church and uh, I've, I've tried to maybe serve as a conduit to the political movement just personally, but I, I can't say that I've been real successful at that with, with uh, Christians. I seem to many, so many other Christians seem to be past more past me and uh, less less willing to get their hands dirty with the, the, and the political world is just a dirty, dirty world. It's very difficult. And uh, so if you have morals and ethical concerns, it's, it's very easy to stay out of it. 
I want to get back to that. So why don't you tell uh, the the audience where you're serving the church at the present moment? And then I want to get back to this question of of involvement uh, by Christians in politics. Yeah, yeah, right. In 2010, when I came back here, um, all my friends were in the OPC, but my church membership had been RPCNA, I mean, had been Reformed Presbyterian Church of Scotland. And so, you know, my my ecclesiastical connection was with the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America then. And so I I, uh, I made uh, effort to join them, and I did. And they um, and I found a group out in Southwest Ohio that wanted to organize as a church. So almost my whole I haven't I didn't start out to do this, but almost my whole life I've dealt with new church development. Uh, which is a really hard, a uh, really hard thing to do, and a lot of it's very nerve-wracking often. And but anyway, so I, I was back into that again and um, started a church from scratch at that point uh, out there in western, um, uh, western Ohio, southwestern Ohio, <clears throat> and uh, we've been going now about ten years, and um, it's still a small church, but we we're it's a very very good church, very s- stable, and. Um, Happy, we're happy together, uh, and uh, uh, so uh, uh, I'm trying to think of that. Oh, I, and then I also, along the way, uh, in uh, about 1990, about 1990, when I was in the OPC in Lynchburg, Virginia, I served with uh, Jerry, I mean, uh, I say I served with Jerry Falwell there in Lynchburg, Virginia. He called me his Presbyterian friend. Because uh, when I, as soon as I landed in Lynchburg, the whole bunch of the clergy in Lynchburg ganged up on him in the paper. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, it was over some political issue. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm a Presbyterian that holds some currency with the society. So I'm going to write a letter to the editors telling them how I agree totally with Falwell. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't realize what that meant for him politically down there. He, and he loved me after that. And, uh, and called me his Presbyterian friend, um, and um, and uh, we were uh, we were very active in in Lynchburg uh, with in the world of politics. I was there for like I was there for twenty five twenty four years. So we got a new congressman elected from that. When I arrived there, I, I I'm I, I you just cut me off if you well, want. To, uh, what church are you pastoring right now? You're pastoring a church right now, and you also have a ministry at a hospital. Yeah, I'm I'm a hospital chaplain. Um, yeah, and uh, um, I don't know whether I, I should. Yeah, I don't think I I don't think it serves anybody to to give their name. And I, I have been. I know one 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 Islamic group tried to get me fired from there already. Well, that's okay. Uh, why, why don't we move into um, you? You've been talking a little bit about it, but a lot of Christians have a belief that Christians should not get involved in politics, or they should not bring their Christian principles into politics if they do get involved. What is your position on that? Well, you know, they, they said that they, there's the old, old aphorism that you shouldn't, you shouldn't talk about politics or religion. It's too divisive. And when I hear that, I, I say, well, I'll ask the person, I'll say, well, you know, um, religion has to do with, it's probably the most important question for the afterlife, if not this life. And then uh, spirit, certainly for the spiritual life and politics are, have the, are the most important influence on this world and this life. So if you're not going to discuss the two most important things about 
life or death, you know, what, what are we what are we talking about here? What here? Why are you? Uh, and so, what, why would you prohibit or prescribe those two subjects? I know that they're divisive, uh, but uh, I think we can discuss things in a friendly way and and do just fine. When you have uh, participated people. in politics, such as the Tea Party, have you attempted to? proclaim the gospel as it applies to the different issues that you deal with in politics? We, uh, yes, but I, I've focused more on the kingdom and on the on the, 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 the sovereignty of God rather than the gospel, although I've been happy to talk about the gospel because, I mean, the gospel has tremendous ramifications on psychology and, and family life and personal life and these kinds of things, but the big issue there in politics is who's sovereign, whose who's, uh, program do you follow? And so in that, in that sense, I've focused on how important it is because, quote, quote conservatism doesn't, really just doesn't work. It doesn't make it. You, you, need, you need the Bible. You need biblical authority to really get anywhere in this life in terms of, um, of a program. Well, for the audience who would like to apply tactics or, or uh, advance the kingdom, in the political sphere, do you have any advice for them? I don't know. I'm, I, I, I just, I think it's good to get involved in your local, um, your local political um, scene. Uh, start going to Republican meetings. I, I, uh, to me, the Democrats are totally outside the realm of possibility, um, just because their their principles are. I mean, the the, the Republicans are pretty liberal. But then, but not not by principle. The Democrats are liberal by, <laughs> by principle, you know. And it's like the, like Republicans have abortions, but they sneak off, sneak off to do it. The Democrats are declaring that that's this. It's the um, it's a sacrament. And it's a holy thing. We ought to we ought to cherish it. And so, and if you get active, if you if you get active in your local party, there's no need to try to take it over. You just 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 be, start going to meetings and. Um, and if you have time, you know, sometimes we don't have time. You know, if, it's, if we're families or we've, we're young couple with families, it's hard to do. But uh, you find that with, you'll find that with the Lord that one thing leads to another. And if you do the small things, then uh, then the big things come along. The Scots have a saying, uh, many a mickle makes a muckle. And mickle is a small thing and a muckle is a big thing. And, and uh, I found that again and again in my life that— uh, and I, I really don't aspire to be a kingmaker. Uh, it's probably a little bit of a fault of mine. Um, um, but I found that the Lord has given me a lots of opportunities to witness for him just doing it the way I've done it. And I've done it in a very fairly lowbrow way. Um, I, I really love people. I find people tremendously interesting, even people that I disagree with. Um, it's only when you get to the level of Adam Schiff and and uh, Pelosi that I start to lose interest. <laughs> well, let's talk about Trump and what's going on now, but let's uh, go back even for, further because I have to admit during the first debate between Hillary Clinton and Trump, I turned on the debate and I lasted about 10 minutes before I got out of my chair and went into my garage and got my 2008 Ron Paul sign and stuck it in my yard. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. I thought I was listening to two li- uh, liberals. But since yeah. that time, uh, uh, 
I mean, he's a, he's flawed. He's very flawed. And a lot of Christians say that we have no business supporting him because of these flaws. And I would like for you to respond to that. I'm really glad to. I In the beginning of the election, I supported Ted Cruz. And I don't know how I did it, but I got I got on the um, on in Ohio. I got I was one of Cruz's delegates, so that if Cruz had um, if Cruz had won the Ohio primary, then I would have gone to the Republican convention as a Cruz uh, representative. Um, so I started out as a Ted, Ted Cruz guy, but I was listening to the debates. And part of this is I am a big picture person. Uh, I, I tend to I, I look at the different. Um, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Uh, items that I see of, of factuality uh, of news, <clears throat> and then I. Um, but I, I'm always I'm always looking at the big picture. How to? Uh, because the ultimately the big the big picture is most important. So I started listening to the debates, and um, <clears throat> to me the 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 huge the battle, which is the big picture in this case, the battle was between big government and small government. And anything that advanced big government was bad. Anything that advanced smaller government was good, even if it was only good by degree. And so um, I listened to, I saw Ted Cruz and some of the other conservatives, and I just felt like they were making too much of the, of the of smaller points that divided them and not enough of the bigger points that were, that were, ultimately important to all of them. And so it didn't take me long. I, I was listening to, to Trump, and I was very suspicious of Trump, too, at the beginning. But um, everything he was saying was um, moving in the right direction. And then people, people that I really trust, and I think that's something that you have to do in the world of politics. You have to find people that you trust over the long term, over the long run, not issue by issue, but over the long run. So the people that I trusted uh, somebody like Pat Buchanan, uh, you know, I disagree with him here and there, but he's he's been a pretty good, he comes from a Roman Catholic background, uh, so he comes from somewhat of a Christian perspective, and um, he's been, he's he just hasn't flip-flopped his, his whole life. He's been right, rock solid where he, um, where he is right now. And so the people, some people like that were, uh, were fairly complimentary of, um, of Trump or early on, um, Victor David Hansen was another fellow that has been true blue, a very, very, a very sharp academician, but uh, but he could see he can see the big picture too, and um, so I flipped pretty early. I was open as I I kept listening. I was always open to going back, but uh, then when he got elected, Trump was even better than he was as a candidate, and uh, there was hardly. Uh, the, the the bump stock issue was an example of his pragmatism where he may I thought he made a, a you know a wrong decision and uh, I think probably some of his personnel decisions were the worst decisions that he made but that I don't think that they were done in a vacuum I mean uh, you get into Washington you've got to have some per people in these posts and there's just virtually the whole upper level of our society is is contaminated um, philosophically so. It's just very difficult on somebody. I remember in the the Reagan years how difficult Reagan had it to find people to to um, to work for him, even to give him advice. And um, and, and the so, comparison between Trump and Reagan is they were both outsiders, really, to the Republican establishment. So 
that that other parallel. Well, a lot of Christians don't even think we should be participating in the Republican Party because of the flaws that are there. And I'm active in the Republican Party. And I've come to think of this as sort of a chess game. And the with the like you say, with with the enemy being big government. And and I think that one thing that Trump has accomplished, and in fact, Gary North wrote an, uh, a column about this yesterday, is that he has undermined people's faith in big government. Do you agree with that? And do you, do you think, do you treat it as a chess game as well? Yeah, totally. Um, I guess I, I, I played chess. I wasn't great at chess. <laughs> And I, I gave up chess because I saw how much time it was going to take to take to really get good at it. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I I just think that it, it go, to go back to that earlier part of the discussion we had, it's it's so important, and it's so it's so important, it's so important at these local um, political meetings to just have good people stand up once in a while and and speak from their heart and say, this is, this is not good. They, they, they probably won't get the vote that night, but their witness and their testimony, I guess that, that goes back to the spiritual part of things. Um, I believe in witnessing. I believe that when we witness, when we say things that then God can do something with it. And I've seen him do that again and again and again in my life, not necessarily immediately or not in the way that we become heroes or celebrities. And that's what people are after today. It's just, terrible the celebrity culture that we have is just um is dead deadening so but if you're not worried about being a celebrity and you're willing to take your time then you have opportunity and and that's what we need we need we need to be salt and the um to use a biblical metaphor we need to be salt and light and and that God, God um, uses that you know the uh, the whole idea of being a witness comes from the greek uh uh, martyroso, which we from which we get the word martyr, and um, um, God calls us to be witnesses. Not uh, I hate the word evan- I hate the word evangelism because that that means that uh, there are evangelists in the Bible, but there is no quote evangelism in the Bible. There's there's witnessing. That the the the, the word the favorite biblical word is witnessing. Because and um, when I learned that, it really freed me up to be be a better better quote evangelist. Is what you mean by witnessing? Witnessing is far beyond just trying to save souls. It's it. Yeah, yeah. It's declaring God's truth and uh, and whatever, however that, however that falls out. Like uh, I was I was real active in the pro life movement in Lynchburg, and. Um, People would get ferociously angry with us holding up signs of aborted babies on, along the road, and I'm thinking, why, why are they so upset about the signs when the when they're actually killing babies? So why are they so upset, upset about the signs? Well, they just didn't want to be confronted by the reality of what they were doing, and so the, the, the proclamation of that truth was very, very powerful. It was much more powerful than saying, and to stand on the street corner and say, repent, people don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, in a sense they do, but not really. And so, but, but if you, if you, if you stand up on the street corner and, and, uh, and say, stop killing your baby, babies, uh, all of a sudden that idea of repentance has a real concrete sense to it. 
And and so that's what I was about. Well, let's get to the next topic, unless uh, Roger has something to add to this. And and let, let's get to present times with what is happening. And of course, the name of this podcast is Justice in His Kingdom. And I think that justice, the idea of justice applies in all spheres, including politics. And we have an election right now that is disputed by millions of people who believe that there was mass cheating and fraud that went on that totally undermined, uh, totally undermined the legitimacy of the election. And it appears to a lot of people that we have we have been totally blocked from having any kind of due process to really analyze the, the evidence in order to t- determine whether uh, the cheating that has been uncovered and witnessed uh, by many was sufficient to throw the election unfairly to Biden. What are your thoughts on what's going on right now in general, Dick? I think one way to look at it is to compare the the riots of the past week with what's gone on the last three years, because the the left would not like to make an equivalency of those two things and say that the the right or the biblical people or the Republicans are disqualified. Many Republicans are ready to say that that they were disqualified because of this uh, because of this one outbreak of violence, which we're they're still they still don't even know whether it was mainly Antifa that did it or whether it was some sort of the wilder end of um, of our group, uh, the MAGA people. Most of the MAGA people were still listening to Trump when this started, but to him, listening to, listen to him speak when this started. So I'm very suspicious. Also, if but, you look um, at some of the videos, many of the MAGA people were trying to stop the ones who uh, had, I guess, violence in mind, such as the, the people walking around with the zip ties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'd like to compare those two. And um, um, when when Biden came out and made his first speech after the riots, uh, you could just see the venom that he, with which he was speaking and the um, the vengeance that he had on his. You know, I mean, if if he had had the chance to organize a lynch mob and go lynch Trump, he would. You know, and that's the kind of psychology. Uh, and I never, uh, I never, I never got got through earlier when I was talking about my qualifications. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hospital chaplain, but I'm, but I'm, I have two psycho- psychology qualifications in that. So I've, I've always been a real student of, and I, I, I also in my intro I didn't mention that I, I had become a over the years I become a PhD in philosophy, and especially in the philosophy of culture, and I've written a book on that. That's a very serious book. What's the name um, of the book? It's called a uh, lifestyle, and uh, it's it, you can get it on um, on Amazon. Uh, you know, it's just listed on all the different services. Uh, yeah, I can give you a uh, the a URL for it at www. My name Knodel K N O D E L, and then the word lifestyle dot com. And uh, that'll take you to the publisher's website for it, and you can see the book, and uh, you can order it there even. Uh, but you can get it on Amazon, also Barnes and Noble. And uh, but it's a it's a, 
um, now, you, uh, I, if I try to give you the whole title, I'll probably fail on it. You know, like how can how can Canodal not know I, the name I'll, of his I'll own book? I'll put it in but the program notes. I'll look it up in program okay. notes for the audience. Okay. Yeah, but it's, it's basically a lifestyle, uh, uh, a, a Christian, um, a Christian philosophy of uh, of culture. Oh, geez. I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna don't, fall. Don't over worry there. about it. I'll put it I'm in the a, program notes with a link. But that's how I'm here. I really am. I can, my short-term memory can be really bad sometimes. I understand. Names and places. Um, so you were talking about uh, uh, Biden's speech. In- oh, oh, yeah, the, the com- comparison between the two, a comparison between the two movements. Which, which, is, the, which is the great crime? Uh, stealing an election or... Uh, having a riot at the House of Representatives. Well, I mean, the, the, having a riot at the House is not good at all. But um, um, the uh, st- stealing an election is a, tre- a treasonable crime, uh, worthy of death. You know. Well, well, <laughs> can just, I interject something here? Uh, because the way I see it is that uh, Pence tried to make it seem that those representatives and uh, senators who were objecting to the electoral vote in mm-hmm. accordance with the way that things are supposed to be done, were trying to overturn the election. Well, yeah. who's trying to overturn ele- an election? People using constitutional lawful members to challenge when there is evidence, and we don't know if it's sufficient evidence to show that it may have been stolen, are those who are stealing, stealing the election. Those are very unfortunate words that Pence used because, in actuality, if the election was stolen, then Pence and all the people who voted to approve the electoral votes are the ones who overturned the election. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I do. It's uh, it's um, and and they in the in the last week they've been arguing that if well, like with the Trump, the president, they said he fomented that. Uh, that riot no what 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 he what he did was he 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 challenged the idea that the election was fair he pointed out that there that basically there'd been felonies committed now you know you can't you can't be charged with fomenting a riot if you're just trying to maintain the truth and uh but that's what they did and he you know it's, it's just terrible because he he made statements that uh that were that were, mitig- were mitigating of any violence, or decried violence, and but they just they just uh, the, what we're living in a world today where the media is trying to create the reality, and and so um, this is they're just continuing to do it. Um, by the way, I just found uh, I just found out this morning. I was reading my my issue of um, Verdict, which is Judicial Watch's monthly mailing. And I found out I found that there is a a movie out on uh, YouTube now, and it's all that's also online, so you don't even have to go to YouTube. Uh, but it's uh, Obamagate uh, by the unreport the Unreported Story Society. It sounds great, and it came out a couple months ago, but it's been suppressed by the social media, and so I can't wait to go and see that. But that that would uh, I mean we've had a, we had four years of this stuff and now um, um, these guys want to say that if you if you you can't point to truth anymore 
Because truth is hatred. Truth is racism. Yada, oh, yada, yada. I'm saying that truth is sedition. Yeah. And the, prosecuted for sedition for petition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the great benefit today is that through Trump's work, we finally have a very large percentage of the electorate, at least 45%, if not 55% of the electorate, that has totally, totally seized this now and has bought into it. And there's nothing that the other side can say. Um, if, if, the other, if the other side was in favor of investigations, then they might be getting somewhere. But if you're not even willing to investigate something as bad as stealing an election, what does that say about you? And so there's 45 to 55 percent of Americans that um, that can't be wrangled uh, falsely by these false charges and by the demagogues that would like to move us this way or that way. So that's the encouragement. The other the other encouragement that I have, I want to I wanted to get this out. I I put this on my Facebook site the other day. Um, I said the best thing America has going for it now is that liberal is liberalism's incompetence. Uh, one of the things that got Donald Trump elected. Think of New York State and their distribution of the COVID vaccine. Everything's been handed to them, and they're dumping this precious medicine on account of its of incompetence. That's if you if you deem it precious. At the same time, Governor Cuomo is as proud as ever, blaming everyone but himself and adding more incompetence to the process every day. It's talk, 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 and fail, fail, fail. Let us praise God for this dimension of liberalism. It just doesn't work. Think of abortion, killing your own kids in the name of the great leap forward. It just doesn't get any crazier. But that's their banner. Think of the democratic cities like Detroit. Uh, um, Detroit drove half their population off before regaining a modicum of sanity. Think education, where the public schools have become so squalid that they're almost agencies of retardation today. Liberalism is its own worst enemy. I, I wanted to remember to say to sound this um, to sound this because it's a you know it's funny but it's there there it's a good encouragement. Roger. Yeah, I was just going to comment. Uh, I've been in Mexico for twenty years and uh, in Latin America between other places for about twenty seven, and uh, it's longer history there than it is in the United States. So yeah. it's nothing new. Uh, Mexico has got a century and a half or more of this collectivism. It's absolute control at the top, and people think it's democracy. And uh, Otto Scott commented that their constitution of 1917 was the first communist constitution in the world. That's what we got next door. And that's why they never advance, although the people are very smart. I think the country is divided into two halves. Those that love freedom, and you could call them scofflaws, because the laws are so insane. And then the rest of them are tattletales or snitches. <laughs> so, and that's where we're headed. And your comment about the press is they're just, it's a, been a propaganda machine for, for, for uh, uh, all my lifetime, I think. My, my entire lifetime, I, the press has, uh, has gone more and more away from, farther and farther away from reporting facts and truth and more and more into, into propaganda, although there's no, no, there's no such thing as uh, reporting something with complete objectivity. You got to, but the, the thing about it, the difference I think is that they're not honest about their presuppositions, about their, uh, what they're, the nature of, the, the kind of things we're commenting about the Republicans and Democrats are really not that different. But I had a question in that, because I read that, I thought it was a good comment. 
<clears throat> what about the role of big tech in this? They're pretty efficient at what they do, but that thing seems to be uh, all this, you know, Google and Facebook and all that kind of stuff is, uh, that may come crashing down around their ears too. They may have overstepped, they may have gone, this is the thing that liberals tend to do is go beyond the limits of what's reasonable. How would you, uh, I mean, because they'll, they'll, they'll back up the, uh, the leftists in the government. Yeah, I, I would I would agree totally there. Um, it's a it's a totally a might make might makes right issue or or development, and they are they are very willing to be bullies. Um, they're very, they uh, you can you can just take that and apply that to any other area of ethics. You know, like um, nobody would like nobody would like to have a a gang come into their house and rape all their women. You know that's that wouldn't be very nice, would it? Uh, but if uh, but if uh, if if might really makes right, and that's what we're that's where we're on today. It, the the tech people just don't care. They they have no idea. I I'd love to. Um, you probably need to edit this out, but I I I tend to think very graphically, and uh, I I I just love to get these guys in some sort of truth serum or um, you know put the electrodes on them. <laughs> Now, what do you, you you really believe the stuff that you're saying? Uh, do do they have no moral compass whatsoever? But that's where they are, and they they, they uh, I, I mean, when they came before Congress, uh, they, they were reprehensible, and then you just can see the lying, the cheating, the stealing that they're in favor of, and you know, um, my, all my work in culture, uh, I, I really appreciate the the gifts that God gives people. And he does. He gives. He's done this from the very beginning of the creation of man, with um, with people like Canaan, um, Lamech. But he gave. He gave. He gives intellectual, cultural gifts to people that don't necessarily love him or are even very opposed to him. And so, he's done this with people like Bill Gates and and uh, uh, the. Creators of, of Facebook and all these other technical wizardries that have been successful and created billionaires out of these people, but they are—they are no more ethical than uh, a bully in the schoolyard. And they're—they're—they're they're, they're geeks, which is—it's ironic. They've probably never been in a fist fight in their life, but uh, boy, are they—are uh, they bullies? And they—they uh, they deserve to get it back in spades. Spades. They make me feel like we're living in C.S. Lewis's that hideous strength with the technocrats. Mm -hmm. now, the the, the yeah. only ethic they have yeah. is power and wealth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think yeah. A lot of their and, power um, and wealth is derived from the fact that they get so many subsidies and contracts from the government. Yeah. A lot of well, people it, are saying it's, it's a monopoly. They're monopolies, and that's that. The other thing, an indicator that we really do not have. Free market economy, but they're not a natural yeah. monopoly. They're a monopoly created oh. by favoritism given to them by the uh, government. Mm -hmm. And I do not think we would have. I mean, personally, I don't think we'd have such giant, uh, wealthy companies without the government intervention. And that was a lot of why oh. we broke away from England is because of the the licenses and special favors that the nobility gave certain businesses. No, monopolies are impossible without the government support. I'll give you an example. A uh, rag on 
Rockefeller, who did a great deal of good with his business and a great deal of harm with his charities, although he's uh, lifted up and praised for his charities and and despised for his uh, businesses. But he, he had control of maybe 80, 90 percent of the market for petroleum for about 10 years. That was it. Competition came in and ran him out. Uh, uh, Pemex is the petroleum company in Mexico, has had a monopoly supported by the government, owned by the government for 70 years. There's no way a free market with competition, you, you can actually have a 100% monopoly or support it for that long a time. I mean, it's been longer than 70 years. I mean, yeah. I guess since the 1930s, 1930s, I think. One of the things that bothers me in, the, in this climate is that the, the churches by and large have been so silent and I understand something of why that is, because I've been a local pastor. It's hard hard enough to survive as a local pastor uh, with, the, with the differences that we already have between people. But to bring up any others, it, it becomes very, very problematic. But still, the, uh, it's just a sad thing that the church, that, that the church is a victim of groupthink as much as the rest of society is. And um, because I just... Uh, you know, uh, if you think of our, our current political situation and then compare it to our founding, I mean, for people that get all upset about or are really ready to reject a movement for a, a riot, um, well, what about the Boston Tea Party uh, uh, chicky, chickens, you know, or, or chickies? Uh, you know, our, we had a lot of rough stuff that happened at the beginning of our, our, our republic. But it, it, it everybody at that time distinguished that that unrest with the French Revolution, which was totally unprincipled. And um, so the, uh, uh, the religion of, of the, of the um, American colonies was Puritan Presbyterian heavily. And even, even the other groups like the Episcopalians and the, the Methodists that were there, they tended toward uh, a pre Presbyterian principles of uh, government, and um, and so there was the the churches were the churches were so much more active when the when the British marched by most Presbyterian churches they burned them because they they identified the the uh, the, the uh, Declaration of Independence and the political movement of the day so much with Presbyterianism. And uh, the the history of, of England and Scotland, the Parliament, Oliver Cromwell, uh, you know, and I, I love our Presbyterian, my Presbyterian brothers today that want to preach this two two kingdom stuff. I can't, I don't want to get off on that. To be your many, most of your readers wouldn't know what no, we're talking would. about. But, yeah. oh, they would. Um, uh, but our, you know, our the, when the Westminster Confession was written was uh, 1640 and after. And when was the when was the English Civil War? Oh, 16, a little bit, sixteen thirty eight, and uh, you know it went on from there. And uh, uh, when was America founded? Well, sixteen twenty and on. And so the the same the same people that wrote the Westminster Confession were the ones that uh, that took off King Charles the the first head, uh, ex executed a king in the name of a higher justice of the tr of true justice and true equity and uh, who who made war on the um on the oligarchical party of their their day and uh, and all of our people in America we we escaped from that 
big government top down kind of thinking uh, that was that was existed at that time in England and um and then without that without those restraints from the from the late 1700s uh when when the when the uh, America was founded uh politically not the not the found, the theoretical or the theological founding in the early 1600s but uh when that when America was founded in the ne- in that 100 years that followed we went from being the poorest country in the world to the richest country in the world why just because we were basically freer and did not have these bureaucratic agencies over our heads like they had in England and the and the aristocratic party over there and so now here here we are um you know 200 years later and we're 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 just so busy doing reproducing the same kind of thing that led to our founding and um and most people just don't realize it they they have no idea of um what they're well, doing they don't with. realize it because most of them go to public schools and are sent there by christians and anyone who thinks a government school is going to teach a history about uh, citizens or, or, or people opposing big government, I think needs their head examined. Yeah, unhappily, our schools are the our little um, revolutionary or insurrectionist uh, machines right now. Because and you say, well, they're not, you know, they're not, te- they're not teaching you how to make Molotov cocktails and that sort of thing. Well, but they, um, well, that's another subject in itself. But they, they really, in in the way that they approach real- reality, it really is a problem. Yeah. Well, they, well, they certainly don't teach the three R's anymore. No, I mean that would be a good start, yeah, wouldn't it? Something, something <laughs> that's, yeah. They, if, if they're if they're really about education, which they're not, they're 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 teaching groupthink. They're operating for the benefit of the teachers' unions. They, I mean, the fact that the schools aren't even open now because of the teachers' unions is a huge problem for them. But yeah, nobody's uh, you know the people, the powers that be, aren't willing to ask those questions. Yeah, that's the reason why our uh, uh, school in Puebla, Mexico. Uh, gets so many children because the parents are seeing that the the, the school system is just doesn't teach uh, actually what they need. They just push them forward, but they're also teaching uh, sexual perversion and socialism, mm-hmm. and that's why they're you know, bullying. And so the Christian parents look for us and come and bring their their kids without any advertising. But uh, back back to your comment about the church, I I was talking to to a friend the other day and. We're talking to give an alternative to a psychobabble perspective. And his comment was, yeah, but we live in a secular world. And I thought afterwards, because it didn't quite square with me. I said, there's something wrong with that. And I said, so I wanted to say afterwards, I thought I should ask him. So the church is no longer salt and light then. We can't, we're not supposed to offer them alternatives. Each man for himself. And your faith is a private matter. I think that's basically what he was getting at. Yeah, and if there if there is no God, then there is no there is no, there are no rules, there is no law, and then you know you might as well go and rape and pillage because there's no reason not to, and some people are willing to do that. Well, now it's ta- time to talk about Christian uh, solutions. Uh, in an article, I think it was yesterday, Gary North talked about the the fact that that everything that the left has done has galvanized the Trumpsters. He points out that 
the people who support came back or came forward to support Trump don't agree on every single policy. I, mean, I know I certainly don't agree on a lot of his policies, but he sees them as potentially the biggest voting block in the Republican Party. In other articles, he's talked about exactly what you've talked about, Dick, is that the, that he, he says that Trump should have, in 2017, encouraged his supporters to get active at the grassroots level, the precinct level, with the Republican Party in order to influence the Republican Party, because there were a lot of establishment Republicans who opposed Trump for four years and who I think were instrumental in him not being able to put forth uh, a defense to this cheating uh, during, vo during voting. Uh, so what do you think about that? And what would you propose to Christians who don't like what they're seeing right now, who maybe don't agree with Trump on everything, but who are totally appalled at what's unfolding before their eyes, give them a concrete plan uh, to go forward and, and trying to resolve this in the future because it's probably going to take years. Yeah, well, we, we cannot be perfectionists as Christians. Um, you know, it's better to be in the game and make a mistake once in a while than to, than to demand. So many Christians are perfectionists. They just, they just don't want to make, they're so afraid of making a mistake that they do nothing. Uh, and uh, so get involved in your local political uh, situation. You, you don't necessarily have to be the leader. Just be there so that you can raise your hand and support a speech that's made uh, that's good. And um, and vote uh, when you need when a vote is needed because God will bring along people that are more capable of speaking than than maybe the average person is, and if we but if we if we don't look at the big picture and try to um, try to be somewhat active, then we just uh, we grant the we deed the whole battlefield to the, to the our adversaries without even firing a shot and that's what we're doing right that's what we've been doing for um a hundred fifty years at least um uh, fifty it's uh, and we we need to be conscious uh i i don't know that i'm being as concrete as you want me to be here because there's no golden gun, you know, if I can use a, <laughs> a metaphor of a gun. Uh, but there, there's no, there's no uh, uh, golden key or no, there's no great secret. Um, but they, we are all in the hands of the Lord. And the Lord does whatsoever he wills in the, amongst the angels of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth, Daniel says. And so, but if we... If we do our thing, if we pray, if we if we build, if we try to build strong churches, and very often this just comes down to saying a, a word in season, and and disagreeing with the way that um, that things are going or the the way the group think is going, um, these things all add up, and um, I, I think that's what that's what Gary's uh, aware of. Um, he he was he's definitely one of the great men of the. Um, 20th century. He's, I'm, gl I'm glad he's still alive. Uh, but uh, men like him and Rush Dooney and uh, Greg Bonson. Uh, we, 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 I've, I work with. I'm, I've been working with a group of men that just have just have gotten all of Greg Bonson's the library back available for free to the public. And um, these are all small steps, but they're um, they're really 
they're really great in the long run. And uh, we need to, uh, yeah, Roger. Where is that? What is, can you give us a link to that library? Oh, of course not. Um, um, <laughs> I can send, I, I can send it can send notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, um, all of these little steps add up to bigger steps. And I, I'm just amazed the the way the Lord brings people along. Um, I'm con I'm continually amazed at his his uh, uh, wisdom and uh, his the, the Holy Spirit works in a, a kind of incessant way that is o overwhelming sometimes. One one of the things that's kind of kind of encouraging to me. I I saw a, uh, an article. I don't know if it was in the um, in the verdict from Judicial Watch or I think it was no. I think it was one of the other groups. But they they had a study of George Soros a month ago. Where they showed that it was front front and back side, where they just showed all the different groups that he's giving millions of dollars to that are working for sedition, mm -hmm. and I read that and it was kind of depressing at first. And then I, when I got to the end of it, though, I thought, you know, this is in a in a backhanded kind of a way. This is really encouraging because each one of these groups is doing more, has more money, and is doing more agitating in the political world than the church. And yet the church is still, just by all of our handicaps, the, the church is still a, a player on the field. I'm, and I thought to myself, how can that be? And uh, the answer, of course, comes back that God is, in, God is we're pulling the strings on these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, about the time that we think that there's not, not, no hope left, he says, look, at boys, there's 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And, um, and they're out there. And... Um, I think Trump has given us a tremendous leadership and encouragement. I was out, I was out doing some uh, street preaching about a month ago. It was before the election, and we were standing at a at a busy crossroads in uh, Westchester, and it was toward the evening. It was on the Lord's Day, uh, at the um, the end of the Lord's Day, and uh, some people had Trump signs. Uh, other people had their open Bibles. They were speaking and. Um, I was amazed at the reception we got by the people that were driving by because it was so favorable. And I've been out in the streets for a long time, uh, and I've never received that much open adulation and uh, people thanking you, raising their raising their Trump hats in the car and that sort of thing. Sort of thing. And um, and I, th I thought to myself, why is this? And I thought, well, it's because of Don Donald Trump. Donald, Donald Trump has had the courage— to lose, he's had the courage to go forth and to witness, to give his, to say his piece, and um, as as flawed as it is, he's he's witnessing more for the Lord than most preachers are, um, in in an, in an open in the open forum, and um, so I, I think he really by his by by seeing him succeed in uh, in the foray the foray. I think it's really encouraged other people that have been more anonymous and more silent to say, yeah, it's time to say something. It's time to speak up. And the, the Trump signs um, that uh, that I've seen around the country and I've been a, a number of different places, um, I see. I just see people more willing to stand up and say, this is what I believe in. Uh, this is what I believe would be good for our country. And so that's working. You, know, you ask for concrete things. I think Trump is a tremendous uh, – blessing now you know if he were perfect then that would even be better 
but but he you know, but he but I work, uh, he's he's really good for what he is and uh, you know when we when we had Reagan in the White House we had Nancy reading the tea light tea leaves at home and and uh, and, and going to uh, palm readers and that sort of thing <laughs> things haven't been good for a long time. Yeah. You know, you know, another silver, silver lining to all this is because of the tyranny of Facebook and Twitter, a lot of people are going to gab.com. I mean, hundreds of thousands. And that site mm-hmm. was started by a Christian reconstructionist. And and huh. he, as Christian reconstructionists do, do, had enough foresight to see what was coming, to have already experienced some persecution, and to have mm-hmm. uh, obtained his own servers so that it's a totally parallel situation and nobody can knock him off like they're doing with Parler and other uh, more conservative uh, social media sites. And that's the kind of thing I think that Christians should do is, is think about building parallel uh, movements or parallel infrastructure. And like you say with Trump, I mean, uh, boat parades are wonderful. Uh, Big rallies are wonderful. That was that all happened with Ron Paul, and that was the most fun I've ever had in my life. Was in two thousand eight and twenty twelve. They are great for getting mm-hmm. attention, but nothing compares to the hard work in the trenches to try to to, to try to advance ethics and ideas and advance his kingdom. And that applies to the political sphere as well as any other sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another thing that we've done in, in Southwest Ohio is um, um, I, I made myself available to be the chairman of the Ohio Gun Owners Association, which is which we, our executive director is Chris Dorr, one of the one of the infamous Dorr right. brothers, and and, uh, and uh, they've been uh they, they you know using the second amendment concerns for the second amendment the the freedom to bear arms they have um they really had an impact a tremendous impact on Iowa politically that's where they started and and now they're having a tremendous Im- in Ohio we got we finally got the um the law that said that we had to you if you, in order to defend, defend yourself you had to retreat it wasn't a full stand your ground law, but they we were, we were able to revoke this obnoxious law, and the governor just signed it recently. Um, governor uh, Dewine, he's not he's far from a conservative governor, uh, but it was because of um, Ohio gun owners, and we um, we we dealt a hard blow to um, the uh, Buckeye firearms that had been there had been the collaborating. Uh, compromising group for years in Ohio, but um, so there are some of these groups like that. That, that and that's a very concrete uh, thing that, that we can do and um, get behind some of these. Out the, now, the um, the, the, the we uh, that that the different uh, door brothers have gone into um, New York, Pennsylvania, New York, yeah. Um, Ohio. And and uh, they they generally don't go to real conservative states like Tennessee. They they pick other pick states like um, Ohio that are on the balance, and have worked there because uh, a very little work can can turn that state in a more conservative direction. 
And I think that the people, um, I know in our, uh, in what, southwestern Ohio now, the tea, tea Party people have become more agitated in a good sense. And uh, people, that, people that we got nominated and elected 10 years ago are now um, too liberal yeah. for us. They're, they're too, they're, and, 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 they're, and so we're hounding them now. And giving them a prize, and, and when, uh, we 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 had a case of this. I won't name names, but we had a case of this just this last this last year. And I had, I had a fellow that was a, a good friend of mine, but he he um, he was a big money boy. And um, well, politics are just, just you know, in order to hold any office in the Congress, you've got to raise millions of dollars and give that. And it's just money, 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 money. And to a, to, to a certain degree, it's just the way life works. But it. Um, it really is corruptive, and it has corrupted things terribly. Well, in, in my participation in the local party, I become very upset when I see people get starry-eyed over office holders instead of every time we go to an event where one is speaking or one is fundraising, we put their we should be putting their feet to the fire, not acting like they're rock mm-hmm. stars. They aren't. They aren't rock stars. They are public servants, and they should be accountable to us. And going in and getting their autograph and fawning over them is ridiculous. Well, and it, it, it's corruptive to them and to the whole process, the whole system, too. So, Roger, you want to uh, finish this out with any questions or observations? Because we're coming up, coming up on an hour. Roger? Your mic needs yeah, to be Yeah, on, I know. Roger. Yeah, I know. I just I had it off in case I sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just very good. It's helpful. Uh, it's, we're all over the map. we got people thinking that there's going to be martial law, and and I, I'm not counting on any of that until I see it. We, yeah, the future's in God's hands, and he's there when we come to it tomorrow. And what's happened to us is, is in his, his hands, and it certainly will collapse because it's not supportable. And... Uh, I think there'll be a payback on some of these social media platforms that there's going to be alternatives. And at least that's my prayer. And it's going to yeah. stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. I think it's kind of one of those times. Uh, yeah. well, it's, it's wonderful, Roger, to hear you speak of prayer uh, because um, the, these, these, the, we have two poles of activity. Our, our, our spiritual ecclesiastical pole and then the, a political cultural poll, and we need to always be working in both of those areas. So some people are all cultural, some people are all ecclesiastical, and we need both. And um, which is a little bit of what uh, I've, the 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 book my my book is li- lifestyle. I hold it up, but I know nobody can see that. Um, but I just um, read the whole I, title. Read the whole title now that you- uh, a biblical a lifestyle colon. A biblical slash forward slash philosophical study of Christianity and the culture it produces um, by Dr. R. E. Conodal Jr. Right. Um, so I go by my initials on that uh, rather than Richard or Dick. Well, we're at an hour, and I want to thank you for appearing yeah. on the podcast. Uh, this has been been a really interesting and I think productive podcast so thank you very much the music featured here is holy is the lord by simon korolski who has graciously granted permission for its use on this podcast simon is a christian whose passion is to sing and compose music for the lord's glory 
His work is supported by donations and he can be found at simonkorolski.com.